The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Monday to you folks and welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation right here. The Multimedia Café, a place where we've embraced modern technology in all its forms. Our conversations here at the Multimedia Cafe take place over the phone, maybe over Skype, face-to-face, FaceTime. We do it all here at the Multimedia Cafe. And thank you very much for choosing us as your content today. We've got exclusive interviews, and we know that there's a million places out there to get your content. So thank you very much. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today. Martin Luther King Day here on January 21st, 2019. And let's take a look at our list of guests and topics today here at the Multimedia Cafe. It's Martin Luther King Day, so we're going to take a look at some uh, unknown facts or some little trivia bits, if you will, about Martin Luther King Day. And, oh, one of my favorites here, Squirrel Appreciation Day. That's right, Squirrel Appreciation Day. Now, this is a true story. When I was a kid, I used to feed squirrels peanut butter with a cracker. And I would throw it out in the yard, and pretty soon, every day, it would be a little bit closer and closer and closer to the door. And that squirrel would continue to come up closer and closer to the door. Well, eventually, he'd come and eat it right out of my hand. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world as a kid. In fact, it got to the point where one day, we left the screen door open, and the squirrel came inside the house and just kind of perched up and started chirping until he got a peanut butter with cracker, and then he left and went outside. So, hey, man, some of these squirrels you can learn to appreciate. So when I saw it was Squirrel Appreciation Day, I thought, you know what? We're going we're gonna to serve up some squirrel here at the Multimedia Cafe. There. Isn't that fun to say? All right, then we have a conversation with Joe Dancy, Oil and Gas Natural Resources and Energy Center at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. He talks a little bit about some of the oil activity down in Oklahoma and Texas shale plays, but also he talks about some of the things that have happened at his university with the students. They created their own energy podcast, and from there we talk about some workforce shortages and just a whole smattering of different items. We talk with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. All right, we got all that plus much more here on today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. All right, let's still take a look at the Martin Luther King facts here, as long as we're taking a look at some of the things here on my desk. Clearing off my desk, Martin Luther King's birth name was Michael, not Martin. Uh, apparently, Michael King Jr., who was born January 15th, 1929, traveled to Germany and became inspired by the Protestant Reformation leader Martin Luther. And as a result, King Sr. changed his own name as well as that of his five-year-old son, Michael. So now that's how Martin Luther King became Martin Luther King. He was born Michael King. I never knew that. And so i uh, pass that along to you folks. Also, Martin Luther King entered college at the age of 15. So... 
not bad, not bad. He gifted students, skipped grades 9 and 12, enrolled in Morehouse College in 1944. He ended up going on to get his doctorate from Boston University. So Dr. Martin Luther King got his doctorate from Boston University in 1955. What else do we have going here for Martin Luther King? He was imprisoned nearly 30 times. Now, isn't that American, by the way? Somebody who's been imprisoned nearly 30 times. And we go on not only to celebrate his birthday, but it becomes a national holiday. Now, I do believe only George Washington and Martin Luther King have their birthdays celebrated as national holidays. Uh, that's I, I do believe that is the case. I'm going to take a look here. George, It's at number 10 here on the facts. George Washington is the only other American to have had his birthday observed as a national holiday. So there we go. I mean, Martin Luther King and George Washington, according to America, are in the same boat. And like I said, he was imprisoned nearly 30 times, 29 to be exact. Martin Luther King went to jail 29 times, and uh, many of them were civil disobedience, of course, trumped up charges, that sort of thing, protesting. And how about this one? 1956 in Montgomery, Alabama, driving 30 miles per hour in a 25 mile per zone. So he was going five miles over the speed limit and got jailed for it. So to say that he was uh, trumped up and probably unjustly prisoned is an understatement. And Martin Luther King's family did not believe James Earl Jones acted alone. It's quite a bit of conspiracy, actually, on that. And it goes everything from uh, the mafia to local, state, and federal government. That sort of thing is uh, all kinds of conspiracy involved in uh, Martin Luther King's assassination. And so uh, just some facts there I thought we'd pass along on Martin Luther King Day as uh, what is it, January 21st, 2019. But Martin Luther King Day, folks. And now we're going to transition to... A different topic here, it's Squirrel Appreciation Day. How about that? Martin Luther King Day and the Squirrel Appreciation Day happen to fall on the same day. Because Martin Luther King Day changes. It's the first Monday that's the closest to the 15th, which is his actual birthday. So it changes a little bit. And today happens to be Squirrel Appreciation Day. And like I told you earlier, my little story about uh, the tame squirrel that would want a peanut butter cracker from our household. A few facts and a few stories here about squirrels that uh, you might make th make you appreciate them a little bit more. They're very organized. It says here they're very organized. There was a squirrel living on UC Berkeley's campus that apparently was sorting their nuts by uh, different types. Walnuts, pecans, almonds, hazelnuts. Uh, the squirrels took time to hide each type of nut in a specific place. Uh, kind of a spatula chunking, if you will. So apparently squirrels are the first closet organizers. And then they also, their forgetfulness helps trees grow. Squirrels might be the best tree planters since Johnny Appleseed. They forget about where they put their acorns and they grow trees. Another thing about squirrels though, I, I've read this, uh, they're kind of tricky. So if they, if they know you're watching or if somebody's watching them, they'll go and take their nut, they'll dig a fake hole, hide that nut, and then go dig it somewhere else. That's true. They're kind of deceptive in that way. They, they got a little bit of a trickery going. They also allow truffles to thrive. So the squirrel's digestive system 
plays an important role in the survival of truffles. The above ground mushrooms can spread their spores through the air. Truffles grow below the ground, so instead of relying on the air, they depend on hungry animals like squirrels to spread their spores to host plants all over the place. So uh, truffles rely on squirrels. And this one I found really interesting too. They're one of the few mammals that can sprint down a tree head first. Now I never thought of it like that, but when I tried to wrap my mind around me sprinting down a tree head first, I appreciated the squirrel a little bit more. Okay, just a fact or two more about them. Their fur may have spread leprosy in the Middle Ages. That one is pretty self-explanatory because of the obviously the pelts the Vikings carried and that sort of thing. And this one is fun. They're more powerful than hackers. So while energy companies may worry about hackers disrupting the power grid, squirrels actually cause more problems than anybody else. In fact, in 2006, a survey of public power utilities, wildlife was the most common cause of power outages and the most common for power companies was squirrels. There you go, Squirrel Appreciation Day, Martin Luther King Day facts, all that on the Multimedia Cafe. When we come back, we're going to be joined with Joe Dancy. He's with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. We have a great conversation with Joe Dancy lined up right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and you are listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Media Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. I'm your host today, and thank you folks for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation, and choosing us as part of your content. Coming up next, we've got Joe Dancy. He's with the Oil and Gas Natural Resources and Energy Center at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. This is Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma. I'm the executive director of the Energy Center at the College of Law. Of course, we'd like to check in with Mr. Joe Dancy from time to time about more of some topics rather than the specific Oklahoma shale plays down there. But just to kind of give us your frame of reference, what are your backyard shale plays down there in Oklahoma? 
Well, I tell you what, right now, Jason, uh, obviously the Permian Basin is really hot. And we actually had, oh, it's been about three or four weeks ago, we had uh, six speakers come in. We had a week-long executive energy seminar. It's part of our online program, and the students come for a week uh, here in Norman. And what they, the, they talked about was the... Well, some of the discussion was with regard to pricing and what it looks like for next year. And, um, you know, one of the concerns you have, because right now these companies are looking to set their capital expenditures for next year. They're trying to figure out, you know, when to drill, how many rigs to run, um, and what prices they'll get. And obviously the current prices are a lot oh, weaker than they were here a few months ago. So the consensus was that, uh, the drilling activity is not going to be as robust as it, some people had said uh, or thought three or four months ago. So the capital expenditures probably be lower, which means a lower rig count. Um, they, and this is sort of confirmed like Raymond James and Associates. Excellent. They do excellent work out of Houston, you know, has lowered their price forecast for the beginning of next year, but they've ramped it up for uh, the end of next year and the following year. And some other steers and associates out of Tulsa has also uh, ramped, uh, revised their drilling estimates, their, their drilling estimates, the rig count, as well as their pricing forecast. And so what they're saying is that, you know, the, the drilling activity will slow down, and that will mean that supply growth is not going to be anywhere near as robust as they thought it would be. And as you know, Jason, it doesn't matter whether you're in the Balkan, whether you're in the Permian, whether you're in the Eagleford, the decline rate on these wells is is massive compared to conventional wells. So you stop drilling, and the market's going to balance all that fast, but more faster. And, and that's what Raymond James, that's what Spears and Associates that's what they're all saying is that um, that the market's going to balance, and quite frankly, uh, towards from July on forward uh, of next year, you're going to see prices much healthier than they had forecasted. But the first half of the year, they're going to be weaker because of uh, demand. Of course, there's a concern now about a recession, a global recession, and you know, Lord knows whether we'll have a global, re- you know. But the bottom line is, Jason, as you know. Um, year after year, regardless of a recession, the, the demand for crude oil grows. China, India, you know, everybody else, there's no really good substitute for oil. And the good news is it's it's fungible so that you can take North Dakota crude oil and you can sell it. You can get, you can get it to, out of North Dakota and actually get it out of the Permian Basin. You can, you know, you can sell your oil in China or, or Russia or, you know, wherever you want to sell your oil, which, which gives you a global price. And so... So that was the consensus. The consensus was weaker than expected in the beginning of 2019, but more robust in the later part of the year. And even going um, further out in the 2020, they they thought you know oil prices would be higher than it, than they expected. Both Spears and Associates and Raymond James. And I'm just sort of summarizing these. I'm you know as a professor, I'm sort of like a canary. I look and I listen to people, and then I write it all down, and then I just repeat it. So it's a uh, and I, but I do. It makes logical sense. Yeah, and especially when you start folding in some of the uh, infrastructure projects that are going to come online. I mean, right now, you know, you talk about the Bakken. Uh, they, they can't get any more oil out of there if they tried. There's there's just a bottleneck in, in pipelines. And same thing with natural gas. You've got Mexico ready to buy our natural gas, yet we just don't have the infrastructure quite there. So I think 2019 
You're, you're exactly right. And I think one of the biggest indicators is going to be as these pipelines get built and as they start coming more and more online, the distribution to the marketplace is going to increase. So I, th I see 2019, much like you said, it might be a little slower in the beginning, but as the months go, I think that the business is going to pick up. Well, let, let me bounce this off you. This is a, You just brought up a very interesting point with regard to you know, drilling activity and pipelines, a couple of our speakers noted, you know, just what you noted, the pipelines out of the Balkan for both natural gas and oil and the Permian um, are being built out now to handle larger volumes. And generally, it'll be about 12 months from now where everything gets put online. So you're going to be able to transport a lot more volumes. And what they noted, especially in the Permian, there's a whole bunch of wells that have been drilled. They call them, as you know, drilled and uncompleted wells or ducts. And, and the reason you don't complete a well, I mean, you don't want to spend the money and complete a well now if it's going to go on in September because, you know, number one, the cost of money and um, just from a physical standpoint. So, so what a couple of these speakers said is, you know, starting maybe in June or July, when they know the pipeline capacity is coming online, you know, they're going to call up their local frack crew and say, you know, gee, send me a couple of crews because I'm going to start fracking and get these wells ready, you know, hooked up and ready to go. When the And they said that's going to be interesting because over the last six months to a year, a lot of these frack companies, because of lack of activity, you know, number one, have not kept up their equipment. Number two, have laid people off. And if you ever go out the Midland, it's not like there's a whole bunch of people, you know, sitting around, you know, wanting to work, uh, you know, regardless of what you're going to pay them. And they said, you know, they're going to get on the phone and there's going to be a shortage of completion crews. And you sure as heck don't want to spend a whole, you want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies to complete a well that you need know, to spend five or six million dollars in drilling and have, you know, somebody doesn't who is not experienced to go out and mess up the completion or you know, you take the you take the risk with inexperienced people, and so they they were actually they, they had a little chart and they pointed you know and said, gee, you know, April or May, you know, is the time you know to to uh, look for this frenzy of activity where people are going to want to start completing their ducks. And he goes, it's going to he goes, prices will go up, and um, it'll be he goes real exciting because because once the frenzy starts. You know, everybody will realize, gee, I need the contract right now for completion or I'm going to miss the boat. So and that again, that goes right to your comment of, you know, as they, they put together more pipelines and get them in operation, it's going to create a real interesting completion frenzy, you know, at the well site. Well, what I think is interesting is, is what you just brought up about the workforce uh, potential issues, because that's a huge issue right now in North Dakota. There's like 35,000 jobs open in North Dakota right now, and most of them are energy-related. A lot of them are energy-related through construction or um, technology, but the, the, the core is energy. And um, I've asked this question to Lynn Helms, who's the uh, oil and gas um, I know. I know Lynn. Okay. He's a great guy. Yeah. He has some. He has some great jokes. <laughs> yeah, and and he's you know, but he's he's the top regulator in the state of North Dakota. And then yeah. uh, I talked to Michelle Comer. She's the North Dakota Labor Commissioner. So two of the top people, and I've asked this question to, and they both agree. Um, and I'd like to get your comments. And this is this is this is going to be an interesting cultural change for a lot of people who. Um, primarily don't have a lot of change in their life, which is, 
a lot of these jobs, you need you need a little bit of a different education. You don't necessarily need the four-year degree. You might need something like a two-year degree or maybe even a nine-month to a year degree, but you might need a new certification in artificial intelligence or maybe some computer software or maybe a new type of welding, whatever it might be. A lot of these, jo these jobs that are available, a new type of certification or education is needed. You don't have to go back for four years. And some of them train you on the fly and on the job, and some of them will even pay for your education. But what we're finding out is that sometimes old, old dogs do not necessarily learn new tricks. Now, in North Dakota, if the North Dakotans do not want these jobs and the Montanans and the Minnesotans and the South Dakotans and those types of things, the nice man from Ghana is going to come here and take that job. And that's what's going on in, in some places like Williston, and other places is you're getting some of these foreign uh, workers that are coming in either with a, a green card or maybe just to outright move over here. And so you're, you're bringing in some cultural uh, change and some diversity change. And that, as you know, sometimes needs to be ironed out in communities. Um, I don't know if you're seeing that down there in, in, your, in your neck of the woods, but up in North Dakota, one of the things that it's being attributed to is these jobs and that, you know, if, if um, people from the area don't want them, they're going to search the globe and look for these employees. And Lynn Helm, Helm said, absolutely. So I don't know if you're seeing that or comment on that, but it, it changes communities. Oh, exactly. Actually, one of our speakers. Mr. Joe Dancy, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Joe Dancy with the Oil and Gas, Natural Resources and Energy Center at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, I'm your host. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation. We're going to go back to our interview now with Joe Dancy, Oil and Gas Natural Resources Energy Center at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. And we continue our conversation. This is Joe Dancy. Oh, exactly. Actually, one of our speakers owns like 12 or 14 trucks out in Midland. They do some type of service. I can't remember exactly. And he's like, you know, six of his trucks are parked. He goes, if you go by the Midland Airport, you can see them. Because it's not because we don't have the work. He goes, we just don't have the workers. And he told this, I had 34 students, and this is a master's online program in energy law. Oh, about three quarters of them or uh, a third or, or a half of them are maybe landmen. And uh, he told them, if any of you want to go to Midland, he goes, I will give you a green hat showing that you're a rookie. You, will, you can work on you know, one of my trucks. He goes, you'll, you'll be at the very low. You'll be sitting in the sun. It'll be 105, but I'll pay you 100000 a year. And, uh, and they're all, of course, the students are all stunned. It's like, you're kidding me. And of course, she says, you know, this is, it's not easy work. You're in the sun. And he goes, I will train you, you know, or we will train you to, you know, you, the guys inside the truck that are capturing all the electronic data, you make substantially more. And he goes, we will train you starting with your green hat and being a rookie. And we'll, you know, you can move up and, you know, actually move into, um, you know, the, the higher level jobs are more supervisory. And of course, afterwards, um, yeah, a few people went up and, <laughs> and talked to him. And there were like, you know, a couple of landmen. I said, God, maybe I ought to be sitting on a, 
you know, a truck out there doing uh, in Midland, and and uh, except it is interesting, and and uh, it, it was the, the and he told me and told them that you know the market out there goes clearly. And actually, he asked the class this. You know, love this goes. Well, how many of you? Now, if you're in Midland and you get laid off, what do you do? And of course, so they picked on one guy, and the guy goes, well, "Let us go home." And the and of course, the, the guy he asked was from Midland, and so all his family was there. And he goes, "No, no, I want someone from Midland who, you know, there's, there's not a family there." And of course, everybody, if you get laid off in Midland, you don't stick around because it's, I think it's a fascinating area. But generally, you know, you hop on the freeway and go down to San Antonio, or right. you go over to Dallas, or you come up to Oklahoma City, um, but you don't, you know, you don't, you don't uh, stick around in uh, in Midland. So he said, "There's a." huge problem and and when this frenzy of completion activity starts he goes no yeah number one you aren't gonna have the people they aren't gonna be there um the infrastructure he goes it's totally he goes it's totally um at capacity he goes you can't have any more trucks going down the road and he goes you can't get the people to build the roads because you know they're all working in the oil field they make a heck of a lot more money on a you know pipeline or oil uh, uh service company or whatever than they do uh you know laying asphalt and so he goes that's another issue and uh, it was quite fascinating to to hear him talk about the the labor issues and i know um uh, texas railroad commissioner uh, wayne christian who's very good friends with uh, lynn helms you know has told me that uh, you know he's actually gone out and done, done a, a number of talks here in texas and told people gee you know if you're having problems getting a job in this economy you ought to think about like you just noted, you know, being retrained or some two-year degrees or some companies who will train you and, and look at the energy sector. And, he, and he's doing that partly because, number one, it's a good message to get out there. But number two, I mean, for the industry, it's, it's very good. You know, it, it makes the industry and the regulators look really positive when you have such a positive impact when you take people who, you know, are working at minimum wage and you put them on a truck and give them a green hat and they're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Of course in Midland, I don't know what it costs to, to uh, buy a house or an apartment, but, but I do know the hotel. I mean, it's the only place that I got, you know, the, the hotel that in, let's say in, uh, in Dallas, uh, would cost maybe $110 a night is, you know, $350 a night in midland and you know you go there and apparently these companies they rent the entire place out so a lot of times they'll they'll the, the parking lot will be full of pickup trucks and and on the weekend you can go yeah you can go and get a room for a hundred dollars a night but you know during the weekday there's they're totally sold out which i thought was pretty interesting and again it's all part of the uh the infrastructure the manpower um issue they have out there and it, it's, it's exciting midland is so vibrant i mean you just go out there and it's like a it's like the gold rush, and um, and it's I enjoy it. I I would uh, I wouldn't hesitate to go out there if I was young, especially. I tell my students, you got nothing to lose. It doesn't matter whether you know you're an engineer or you're a financial person or whether you're a landman or whether you're an attorney. Um, you know, there if you're willing to work, I think uh, you know, that place is the mecca, and you're going to learn a lot. So you can always bring go back to Houston, go back to Dallas. Go back to Oklahoma City, go back to Tulsa, and you'll be taking those skills with you forever. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is um, Michelle Comer, the North Dakota Labor Commissioner, and I, this is what we talked about, was that 
that four-year degree just isn't as needed as it was before. In fact, you might argue the two-year degree is right now the, the, w w where people are going. Now, if you're going to be an attorney or an accountant or a doctor, that's a different story. But if you're just going for a business degree, for example, um, that today's economy might not be the best best way to rack up $100,000 in debt and go out there and try to look for a job with 100 other people versus you get a two-year degree that might be paid for and you make 100 grand a year right out of school. I mean, and, and that wasn't the case 10 years ago. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. So the thing that she said is that we need to start changing a 40-year mindset of you got to go to a four-year school right when you're done, that type of thing, to where there's options like there's never been before. Uh, you you work for a university, you've, uh, University of Oklahoma, and you, you're part of the law program, which is, you know, eight years of school. Uh, are, are, is the, the, the increase of trades and that sort of thing, is that trickling into your guys' uh, conference rooms and that sort of thing, just from an a, a educational uh, observation side? Yeah, it is. Let me, let me tell you how this is working. We have, you have to have a four-year undergraduate degree, but what, We've done at the law school, and there's some other universities. For example, University of Tulsa has done a great job. Oklahoma City University has a similar type program where um, online, if you have a four-year degree, you can get a master's in energy studies or energy legal studies. You know, each university calls, calls it a little bit different. But what it is, Jason, is like, you know, you get a, a four-year degree, say, in political science and can't find a job or can't find a good job. So you can go and take you know, a 15-month program or 20-month program and getting master's in um, energy law. And they'll teach you, or we teach students, all about oil and gas leasing, running title, environmental law, water law, energy project finance, negotiations, you know, federal leasing, offshore leasing. You know, take all these courses. And, and the neat thing online, and of course, this really dates me because I – yeah, I'm, I've been teaching now for over 35 years at a whole bunch of different law schools and business schools, and it's always, you know, FaceTime, and if you're a good professor, you know, the students will pack your classes, and, um, <laughs> and with the online programs now, what you can do, and what we've done at the University of Oklahoma, is we've cherry-picked some of the very best teachers and experts in their given area, like title, um, like energy project finance, like uh, environmental law, and then we record their lectures, and then um, the students get to get the experience of having a superstar, and some of these people, I mean, we have we had the latest people that were in here, we had about 34 of them, I think we had three or four from Midland, and a couple, one guy told me, yeah, he goes, you know, at lunch, you know, I just pull my pickup truck over, and while I'm eating lunch, I turn on the computer and get... I watch my 30-minute um, you know, lecture and take my notes, and he goes, you know, then that night, he goes, I get back online, review everything, and then, you know, go through the protocol of responding and doing the homework and doing all the assignments and uh, et cetera. But he goes, it's great because, number one, you're still working, so you are enhancing your, you're enhancing your education without um, going back to school and quitting your job, and that's the interesting thing is, of all these people who graduate from our online program, 
every time you know, two or three people come up to me and say, God, this is so interesting. I want to be a lawyer. Mr. Joe Jancy, one more time. I'm just going to ask you to hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to wrap up our conversation with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Those people have long since gone. My father never fell. Even when the rain falls. Even when the flood starts rising. Even when the storm comes. I am washed by the water. Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Even when the earth crumbles under my feet, even when the ones I love turn around and crucify me, I won't ever, ever let you down I won't fall Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation. Now we conclude our interview with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. This is Joe Dancy. I don't think I go into law school and I tell them, hey, look, you know, think about this. You're going to spend, as you know, you're going to spend three years, probably more, going to law school. It's going to cost you a bunch of money and you're going to quit a job that you're making some really good money and getting some good experience. You could do that in some areas like in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City University has a night program in Houston. There are night programs for law school. But if you're in Midland, you, you know, you, if you go to law school, you're going to have to you know, relocate, and um, the online law degree has not is not there yet. It may be here in four or five years, where you can in Midland, Texas, um, you know, take a three year um, program online and uh, and complete it successfully. But it's real exciting. The, the whole online education. I was very skeptical about it um, when I first started and in getting involved uh, two or three or four years ago. But the more I'm involved. The more comfortable I am, as you know, the technology is just incredible. The, you know, the Skype, the skyping, and the, you know, the ability to get online. Uh, it really, and like the commissioner noted, I mean, you know, even if, even taking seminars and lectures online um, without getting an advanced degree is, is you know, can make you competent. To, I mean, the joke is in Midland. Uh, my law students don't appreciate this joke sometimes. I said, you know, gee, if you fail the bar exam, but if you can pass a drug test, you know, you can go to Midland and make more than $100,000, you know, driving a truck. And, of course, they all think I'm joking. I said, well, no, no, I'm serious. There is such a, you know, it's probably substantially more than 100000 from what I've read and what I've heard. Um, but it is, you know, it, that is a, <laughs> well, so it's not as easy as you see, it seems, because, I mean, the roads out there, I mean, it's, it's if you ever, I don't know if you've been to Midland lately, but I was out there, and everybody drives a pickup truck or a huge trailer. And I mean, it's it is somewhat intimidating for someone like me who's used to Oklahoma City or Norman, Oklahoma traffic or Dallas traffic, where you you know you don't 
you may have a traffic jam, but it's mostly cars and SUVs. It's not 18 wheelers that are going 75 miles an hour. So <laughs> I always tell people if, you know, when these oil, oil things are going on, um, if you got no business being on the roads, don't go. Um, right. It's just, there's, it ain't worth it. It's just not worth it because, you know, you're talking, like you said, these, these aren't little geo metros. These are big trucks. And, um, if you get hit, there's more fatalities than injuries type of a thing. That's how, you know, how big these trucks are. Um, yeah, the, the, the education part, it's just, it's, it is pretty neat and exciting to see the different options that are coming, you know, to the, the different ways that you can do, a uh, and, and get an education these days. I chuckled because uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, actually, she was an attorney, and she was uh, working for a, a law firm and a judge for about, I suppose, two, maybe three years tops. And then after that, she started selling pharmaceuticals because she made double the money. <laughs> and so, right, right. <laughs> you know, I got it. And I, that's what made me think of it. I wonder how many l- lawyers are doing the same thing. Like, no way, man. I'll go drive truck and make 120 grand a year. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. And, and actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I told my students that it, it, um, regardless of where you are in your class, if you're in, if you have a four year or two year degree or a law degree, you generally have enough intelligence to do something really well. So you just need to find out what you enjoy doing and it may be driving a truck in the block and be, or because you're making money or you enjoy driving a truck but you know you're in, you 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 have intelligence and if, if you're usually going to school and get a two or four or a law degree you have some type of discipline where you have to do your homework you have to show up for class you know you you have average to above average um, intelligence so you'll you can be successful selling cosmetics uh, like you know or, or um, you know, doing, doing whatever you want to do. And there's quite a few very, very successful people with law degrees that there's, they, there's no way you could get them back in a law practice and there's no way you can get them, you know, near a courtroom. So I, and I think that's good. <laughs> yeah. Quite and, frankly. and a lot of times when I talk to students, I, you know, I tell them, um, in some, some way it comes up that, you know, if, if, if you're in business, well, during a recession, you just got to figure out a way to make a better steak sandwich than the other guy. Um, because there's always going to be, you know, money out there, but it just becomes a lot harder to find. But if you make a better product than the next person, you know, you should be okay. Or if you're going to go and get a trade, say like a, um, um, I, and I always give the example of a hairstylist. Um, hair always grows during a recession. And actually, it's one of the few industries that is recession proof is cutting hair. And so, I mean, if you're looking to, you know, have a safe industry, something like that is really safe because like I said, hair still grows in a recession and people still need to, you know, get their hair cut. So there, the, when, when you hear the word recession, a lot of times people think everybody gets hit when that's not the case. In fact, some people like I know my business actually grew during the last recession because um, one of the one of the things that we are set up for is to deliver content to traditional media formats and when they're laying people off they love us because <laughs> right. yeah because because you know we're, we're providing you know but to be fair to us we don't you know sensationalize our topics and we don't have an agenda our agenda is pretty simple educate the world about oil and gas that's that's pretty simple and so hey speaking of your students by the way and educating the world of oil and gas as we kind of wrap up here um 
uh, take an opportunity to plug the uh, new podcast that you guys have uh, work, been working on, that sort of thing. It's another voice for energy and another opportunity for students to uh, learn about it. Actually, Jason, we uh, this was a student idea, and I actually I, I talked to you earlier, and I wanted to make sure you know you know we're not the students were not in competition with you. But about six months ago, they came to my office and said, "Hey, Professor Dancy, we know you're busy as heck, but we'd like to do this energy podcast. Would you be faculty advisor? No one else will be faculty advisor." And I said, "Sure." And but I let them they messed around, and they said, "Well," and I said, "Geez, guys, first of all, you need the recording equipment, you need the software." You know, you need, so it took them. It took them about three months to get everything together. But what we did is we um, put together a a podcast. It's the Oklahoma Energy Podcast, and we interviewed one of our recent graduates, Kimberly Works, with uh, Ball Morse and Lowe, and a firm here in in uh, Oklahoma City. And she's a expert on water law, and she talked about water issues mainly in the Permian because she's she's a Midland girl who's been transplanted to. Oklahoma City and Norman, but she said, and her father practices law out in Midland, but she goes, water is such an important aspect of oil and gas development that people don't realize, and it's going to be a continually continual pro- issue going forward. Then we had another, Dan Steffens, who's Energy Prospectus Group um, CEO. He's a energy expert talked about natural gas and i know you had a recent program on natural gas and i'd listen i mean and what dan said was just what your guest was saying and you brought up i mean god it's been two or three weeks ago i think it's you were ahead of the curve uh in a way uh about the fact that this winter we have such low levels of natural gas that potentially in chicago and elsewhere and back east that there may actually be shortages where utilities are going to have to go to manufacturers and chemical plants and buy the natural gas at whatever price they can they'll have to pay and he goes it could be the, the dan is, used to work for hess corporation he said at one point and this is goes this is 10 or 15 years ago you know we had we we had people buying our gas from hess at like sixty dollars a thousand cubic feet, and to give you in perspective today, you know the gas is what three seventy a thousand cubic feet. Mm-hmm. That's up from three dollars. So he goes, they pay whatever it takes because you cannot let the residential users, um, you know, that you can't let the lines go below a certain pressure because it's a safety hazard. And that was Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in to us here on this Martin Luther King Day, January 21st, 2019. I'd like to thank Joe Dancy for being a part of today's program and giving us some of his insight as well as uh, relaying some great information about what's going on with the economic development down in the southern part of the United States and quite honestly how that ripples in to the rest of the United States economic systems, all that. Okay, also uh, Martin Luther King Day and Squirrel Appreciation Day. I'd like to thank you folks for listening to some of our reasons to be appreciative of the squirrel. I know so often uh, we're not, and so whenever we see Squirrel Appreciation Day, we thought we'd uh, serve it up here at the Multimedia Cafe. And that's going to do it for the Multimedia Cafe today. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us from the staff at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to live life and enjoy the spice.
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 